Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. I've spoken a bit about plugins for DAWs, digital audio workstations, and it was made clearer to me that not everyone is fully attuned to the idea of plugins, including what they are and why one would use them. It's an excellent point, and I thank you for raising it. We often think of effects as pedals or multi-effectors, particularly if we've been at this for a little while. They work, and goodness knows that there are more pedals available these days than any person could possibly keep track of, with the possible exception of Josh Scott. When it comes to recording, pedals work fine if you're running them into an amplifier and then miking the cabinet, or if the amplifier supports it, sending a DI signal to your recording interface. This is easy for most of us because it's the same way as when we play live. If we plug into pedals, it goes to an amp, Simple. However, when we're recording, we may prefer the idea to record the dry signal and then apply the effects afterwards for more tweakability, for better control of effect density, and also to do some what if and potentially reordering. This means having the effects available in the DAW, and that is one of the many things that plugins can do for us. There are many more options, of course, including amplifier and cabinet simulations and even software emulation of classic studio hardware tools, or even new implementation based on artificial intelligence that will speed up your mixing and mastering process. Simple plugins do one thing, and they do it very well. For example, I love the sound of a classic Maestro Echoplex EP3. What I don't love is the cost of finding a functional unit and the random dice rolls needed to keep one running. I have multiple EP3 plugins available to my DAW that accurately present an EP3 without having to conjole a real vintage one into cooperation. The original Boss CE1 Chorus is another similar device. Incredible sound, but a bit long in the tooth, and vintage ones are stupid expensive. I have a plugin for this device that brings that CE1 sound without noise or aged electronics or high cost. It's true that not every pedal is available as a plug-in, but you might be surprised how many are. Next, we can consider amplifier and cabinet plugins. While I would love to have rooms full of different amplifiers and cabinets to choose from for the purpose of recording and playing, it's not practical financially or space-wise. I do have many amps, but I also have amplifier and cabinet plugins to be these devices all done in software, and they do a stunningly good job. This way I can record the track dry, and then try it with different amps and cabinets after the fact to find the tone that I like the best. It's very beneficial, and no retakes are required if you change your mind about the amp. We know that miking a real cabinet is not particularly difficult, but to do it effectively you need several microphones, multiple interfaces, and to be able to mix all that stuff down. The better cabinet simulations use impulse response files created right from a real cabinet and done with a variety of real microphones. I don't own a Soldano SLO100 in cabinet, 
I don't own a Neumann U67 or a Royer 121 to record it. But I do have that entire environment in my DAW, and I can even move the virtual microphones around to change the sound field. It makes me very happy. It saves space and gives me sounds that I could not get without spending a lot of money that I don't have. I also don't own or have space for an 8x10 Ampeg bass cabinet and SVT amplifier. But I do have multiple options in my DAW to deliver that service. When I was younger, I had the opportunity to apprentice with several sound engineers. After I had retrieved the coffee, tea, and other beverages, which is what you do when you're an apprentice, I would learn from these brilliant folks about studio processing. Why would you use a compressor? And when would you choose a tube compressor over an FET compressor? You learn from experts. I learned about equalization using parametric equalizers where you choose the frequency and then the width of effect called the Q to really manage that EQ curve. I also learned, probably too slowly, how different preamps and channel strips would work with microphones and why you might choose one over another for vocals versus, say, recording horns. The reality is I can never afford all that gear. However, today, I have a lot of it available to me in my DAW that sounds and behaves just like the real thing. I even have different versions of the same product because engineers and producers with more skill than I have identified which elements make the most sense and which versions work best with what you're doing. I haven't gotten there yet, but I could even get a plugin built to work with a specific microphone for the sole purpose of allowing that microphone to behave like one of several different microphones. This idea fascinates me for recording when I'm using a microphone. In this manner, I wouldn't have to have drawers full of microphones. I'd have one, and it could be many. There are certainly plugins that come with most DAWs, and they're typically very good. But there are also companies that do plugins specifically. Companies like Universal Audio, like Waves, and Isotope. There are certainly others. I will spend more time on some newer AI-based plugins in coming articles, because I think that's a really interesting space. As always, thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing to the articles and this podcast so you get notified when a new one is posted. Until next time, peace. Peace. <laughs>